encouraged. I got a confession, though, as we begin a new series today called Yes, Lord. I have been on my knees praying a lot about this series, and this series has been on my heart for over a year, and here it is. Um, my concern as I come into this series, uh, my anxiety is really starting out around kind of two things. One of them is as we begin a series and we talk about discipleship, as we talk about actually following Jesus, which is the whole idea of the gospel, right? I worry that some people don't have grace down yet, all right? There's a group, they don't understand grace. They don't understand that they're saved by nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so I worry about those folks as they hear about the call to discipleship. I also worry on the other side of the pendulum about those folks that have a distorted idea of grace. I kind of grew up with this idea of grace, um, which basically allows them to use grace as an excuse to live any which way they want. Just kind of, they're stagnant. They're just kind of uh, stuck and they're not growing. And so let's pray together as we begin. Lord, help us to fall more in love with you and more in line with your word. May we never believe that we are saved based on anything other than the work that was accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. May we never on the other hand, view grace as some sort of license to sin. Make this congregation, Lord, a disciple-making church. As we go out the biz- about the business of loving you and loving others, may we be a disciple-making church, changed by the Spirit. May we carry your grace and your love out into the brokenness of this city. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Be careful what you put your trust in. A fellow named James McCormick founded a very, very prosperous business. And he kind of learned and his clients learned the hard way to be careful what they put their trust in. James McCormick founded a company that branded these high-tech bomb detection devices, these sold for, either, for between $2,500 and $30,000 per unit. And you can imagine in the violent world with all of the hot spots around the world today, um, sales were very good. This ADE or advanced detection equipment had sales of over 7,000 to the Iraqi government and thousands to other agencies around the world as well. The company, according to invoices, made just over $38 million in the last three years. The problem is this. Those devices were fake, all right? Actually, what McCormick's company did was they went out and they bought a bunch of golf ball finders, okay? They're these golf balls. They don't do anything either. They don't work either. But apparently, you can buy a golf ball finder. They found these. They took the stickers off, and they put their stickers on. Voila, bomb detection equipment, right? Um, Judge Richard Hone, this is, I think, last week in Old Bailey Court in London, offered this judgment. 
He said, after a six-week trial, I am wholly satisfied that your fraudulent conduct in selling so many useless devices for simply enormous profit promoted a false sense of security and in all probability materially contributed to causing death and injury to innocent individuals. So McCormick will be spending the next several years in prison. Be careful what you put your trust in. This is one of the messages that you see Jesus preaching in his earthly ministry. Be careful what you put your trust in. And really, that that idea leads to, what about Christianity? What about someone wearing the label Christian without actually being a Christian? Is that possible? Of course it's possible. What about someone believing in Jesus or they at least believe that they believe in Jesus, but really they're not a follower of Jesus. What does that look like? Do I get to decide whether or not I'm a Christian? Okay. If I decide that I'm a ballerina, are you guys going to put much stock in that? Right. I, mean, I think the world looks at a lot of people that have decided, I'm a Christian, and they go... Either you're not a Christian or this Christianity thing is worthless. That's what I think. Can someone believe in Jesus without actually being a follower of Jesus? According to Jesus, it is not only a possibility. He prophesied it would be a certainty, right? So in a Christianized culture, in a Christian-y culture, watered-down versions of faith have emerged that look very little like the call to discipleship that we see Jesus placing on people's lives in the New Testament. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks, we're going to go to the source, the source of Christianity, Christ, uh, the source of Christianity and the Christian faith, Jesus Christ. We're going to discover or rediscover what it truly means to follow Jesus. And together we'll see the power, we'll, we'll, we'll experience the significance will experience the adventure, the the security, and the Holy Spirit power that are unleashed in the lives of men and women who decide to follow Jesus. Now, if what people claim about their faith can be trusted, our job is done here. In America, very little evangelism is left to be done, right? If we can trust the labels that people slap on their lives, we're pretty much done in America because four out of five Americans claim to be Christians, right? Um, Yeah. If you want truth in advertising, though, you have to dig dig a little deeper than the label that we slap on the outside, don't you? Um, Less than half of Americans are involved in church on a weekly basis. Less than half believe that the Bible is accurate And an overwhelming majority of those claiming to be Christian don't have a biblical worldview. In other words, there's nothing about their lives that looks different from the world they live in, okay? So the labels that we give ourselves can be pretty misleading. So maybe we need to pare it down to who really believes in Jesus. Do you actually believe that Jesus was was sent from God? Well, if you pare it down to that, if that's how you're going to evaluate whether someone or not is a Christian, then Muslims are Christians. They certainly believe in Jesus. Their holy book talks about Jesus all over the place. Read the Quran last year, right? 
They believe, in, they believe Jesus is sent from God. They believe Jesus is a prophet. They believe Jesus is a messenger. Um, maybe you say, well, okay, no, we need people who believe in the God of the Bible, all right? The God of the Bible. Well, according to James, in James chapter 2, verse 19, even demons believe in the God of the Bible. So we got demons. We got... So basically, what is it that defines whether or not I am a Christ-honoring Christian? Um, the problem is that believing in Jesus or having faith can mean different things to different people. There are certainly different kinds of belief. Um, now, you and I do not have, thank God, hear this, we do not have a God-given mission to go around deciding who is and who is not a Christian. That's not our job. God never asked us to do that, okay? Jesus does that. At the end of time, he and his angels are going to sort out the wheat from the weeds. That's their job. But just so you know where we're coming from with this series of messages, I'm not at all interested in deciding which religious groups or which denominations are or are not really following Jesus. That's not what I'm concerned, and I think that leads to some very destructive places, some very harmful places. What I am interested in is I want to grow as a disciple of Jesus, and I need to ask myself some tough questions, and I want us to be a church at Preston Crest that produces disciples, and that means we're going to have to evaluate ourselves, and that's what really matters to me. That's what the series is about, developing a culture where disciples are made at Preston Crest. That's what's interesting to me. Now, what is very helpful to us is that Jesus spent a lot of time during his teaching ministry talking about discipleship. He gives us several excellent primers on this is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to believe in me, right? So let's start out in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21, and we'll, we'll, we'll go 21 to 23 here. Familiar passage. Let's hear this with fresh ears. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord. I would translate the Gordon Dabbs version of this, which is not probably as accurate as this one would be. Not everyone who checks Christian on a survey, all right? Jesus said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, many, so this is Jesus, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So, the outline this morning, we're going to fill this out really quickly. This is just something for you to kind of take home and think about this week. So get ready, get your pen ready to fill out the outline in the bulletin. A couple of things Jesus establishes about real faith in him. Um, number one right here, Jesus said that people will claim, this is the prophecy that he makes, people will claim him as Lord, but they will not have a saving relationship with him. Claim Jesus, but no saving relationship with him. Get away from me. I, I don't even know who you are. Okay, that's, that's a scary thing to think about. I don't want the Lord to say that about me. Number two, Jesus said that the truth about my claim to believe will be revealed by whether or not I actually follow his teaching. Right? My claim, my label that I'm a Christian, 
that will be decided based on whether or not I actually follow his teaching, whether I'm seri- I have a serious commitment to Jesus, his lordship, and his teaching. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, okay? So, a couple of ideas here I, I think that are kind of helpful. Um, the first is, we, as we live in a culture that prints in God we trust on its money and, uh, and pledges allegiance uh, to this nation under God, a nation that has so many christian elements to it, all right? Um, I think this first concept is very helpful, which, which, which is called practical atheism. I didn't invent this phrase. I don't know who did, but I think it's helpful. Practical atheism it goes like this. To claim Jesus as Lord, but not actually strive to bring my life under his lordship, right? To claim Jesus as Lord, to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, but my life actually has nothing to do with trying to bring all dimensions of my life under his lordship. That's practical. In other words, practical atheism is, I claim God, but God makes absolutely no difference on my life. There's just no difference between me and someone who doesn't believe at all, right? In fact, nowadays, this is what's very disturbing, is you see a lot of atheists or a lot of agnostics that actually look more Christian than Christians do. You with me? That's what's really upsetting a lot of folks these days, is some of the atheists are better at serving and helping and looking more like Jesus than those who who show up at church on Sunday morning. So the second thing here is disciples, second line here, or the last line on your, on your outline is this. Disciples say yes to Jesus with their lips and with their lives. Okay? Confessing Jesus involves your lips and your life. Okay? Now, a Christian myth has developed over the centuries. This myth takes the heart and soul of the gospel. Right takes the crux of the New Testament, this is the Christian myth, and it reduces it to getting your ticket punched to heaven. All right, That is the Christian myth. It is all about getting your ticket punched to heaven. We reveal that in our language. Have you gotten saved? Did you get saved? Or in our tradition, I heard, what is essential to salvation? And that was the big question. Is that essential to salvation? It's about the bare minimum. It's about what do I need to do to just cross that line and just kind of, I don't want to go any farther than that. I just want to make sure that I'm, you know. And that is the Christian myth. Instead of a call to follow Jesus, which is what you will see as you read your New Testament, instead of a call to follow Jesus, instead of a life caught up in the kingdom, the gospel has been in many cases reduced to a kind of fire insurance. A kind of get out of hell free card. But what happens if that isn't the gospel Jesus preached? What happens if the central message, follow me, gets replaced with something less? I believe this is one of the reasons that so many younger people are disillusioned and are becoming disillusioned with the church at large. I really do. They see... They see a broken world. They see a world full of sin and violence and and awfulness. They see Jesus. And even if they aren't serious students of the Bible, they know enough about the Jesus of the New Testament to know he was a guy that went around doing something about it. 
He was a guy that went around serving and ministering. And they are troubled by that because when they look at their church and when they look at their parents, they, A, see Christianity being reduced to being a nice person, A, being a nice person, and B, it's about showing up um, at church, and C, it's really all they talk about mainly is, is getting saved, is getting out of making sure you don't go to hell. Now, there's nothing wrong with the quality of niceness. If you're a nice person, golf clap for you this morning. That's, that's good. That's nice that you're a nice person. Nothing wrong with being a nice person. Certainly nothing wrong with wanting to know that you are saved, that you're going to go to heaven upon your death. All right? That's nothing wrong with that. But whatever happened to living under the lordship of Jesus in a hurting world? Under his lordship in my relationships, under his lordship in my service to the community, under, my, under his lordship as I accept and love other people who may look very different from me, whatever happened to living under his lordship with respect to my personal holiness? Holiness, there's another word you don't hear much about that. Yeah, these days. I love Francis Chan. He's a great writer, a great Christian speaker. And a lot of things he says just really, he's almost a prophet, I think, now to, to, our, to the younger generation. He wrote these words about Christianity today. He said, we have done everything humanly possible to make church, quote-unquote, easy. We kept the services short and entertaining. Discipleship and evangelism optional. Moral standards low. Our motives were not bad. We figured we could attract more people by offering Jesus with minimal commitment. But we ended up producing nominal Christians whose unchanged lives have deterred others from being interested. He says, there is a new generation rising up. Young adults are studying the Bible without missing the obvious. They see how shallow methodology and is incongruent with the Jesus of Scripture who asked everything of his followers. They're bored with Sunday morning productions and long to experience the Holy Spirit. They need to be challenged with the awesome responsibility of praying for, baptizing, and making disciples of their acquaintances. They need to be reminded of the Spirit who supernaturally empowers them for this task. The days of merely bringing our friends to an event so the pastor can save and disciple them need to end. New churches must be formed where all believers are expected to do the work of evangelism and discipleship. This generation sees the potency of a church where pastors equip and shepherd disciple make and shepherd disciple makers rather than service attenders. So the Christian myth is about getting yourself saved and then making sure you're sitting through a reasonable percentage of worship services. Maybe not every Sunday, but most Sundays. 
The truth is that Jesus wants to unleash his disciples, you and I, on this adventure of following him wherever we find ourselves. Let's go back to the text in Matthew chapter 7. Pick it up in verse 24. Very familiar parable, appropriately enough, on a morning like this um, with the rain outside. Anyone who listens to my teaching, Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teachings and what? Follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. So as I think about that, and I think about people I know that, that just exhibit the truth of these words in their lives, I think about like marriages, for example. Marriages, marriages built on Jesus survive the storms of life, the inevitable low points, the fights, <laughs> the, the parenting struggles, the financial struggles. Marriages survive and they grow when they're built on the bedrock, on the words of Jesus, on loving and following Jesus. Truth is, and if you know my wife, you know this is true, Isla and I couldn't be more different. We are so totally different, except for one thing. She loves Jesus like crazy, and I love Jesus like crazy. We have that in common, and according to Jesus, that's enough. That'll do it. Funny thing is, Jesus tells his disciples that they will face storms. In this first part of the parable, he's talking about people who hear his teaching and who follow his teaching. And he says, look, storm waters, winds, floods, you guys are in for that. He does not promise his disciples a trouble-free life. There will be storms in their marriage. There will be storms in their career. There will be health storms, diagnoses, storms. There will be, you get the idea. We get, you, know, you get the idea. There will be storms in our lives. Jesus says that. Okay. So a Jesus follower isn't immune from storms, but a Jesus follower is prepared for storms. Is prepared for storms. Their love for the Lord, their love for, for his word is bedrock that their lives are carved into that will allow them to survive anything. Okay. On the other hand, verse 26, you remember the rest of the parable or you remember the little song from VBS, all right? Anyone who hears my, the wise man builds his, anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish. Anyone who hears my teaching, they know my word, right? And they just kind of ignore it. Jesus says, idiot, fool. Like a person who builds his house on sand. <laughs> when the rains come, the floods come, appropriate this morning, and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. All right. So according to Jesus... Being a Jesus follower, being a follower of his, does not, does not result in your living a storm-free life. 
It results in your life being able to stand up to the storms of life. Saying that you're a Christian, this is the obvious context of this entire passage in Matthew chapter 7. Saying that you're a Christian, Lord, Lord, regularly attending church even, right? Those don't help. Or maybe they help, but they don't do it. It's a simple question of, according to Jesus, of whether or not he is the Lord of your life. That's the question at hand. Am I your Lord or am I not your Lord? Am I the Lord over part of your life, but not this part of your life? In other words, I'm not your Lord, right? It's either lordship is either all or none kind of thing, right? So when it comes to Christianity, lip service without lordship is a lie. Lip service without lordship is a lie. Now, so we're exposing the myth. It's hard to expose myths. We don't, it's uncomfortable to expose myths. It always is because a myth becomes a myth because it's something that everyone just kind of accepts as true. Um, and so exposing the myth of Christianity in America is a tough thing. You go back to the New Testament, you see that it's about following Jesus. Now, these words of Jesus, they're not my words this morning. I don't, I, these, aren't, these are his words. These words of Jesus may make you mad. They may make you uncomfortable. They may make you anxious. But he tells us these words because they're true and because he cares about us. He doesn't want your life to come crashing down. He wants you to survive the storms. He doesn't want you walking around with a label stuck to yourself, thinking you're okay when you're not okay. Right? He loves us, so he shares these truths. I love what Billy Sunday said one time, famous preacher from years ago, and I, I've quoted this before. He said, one of the things he said was, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. That would be another way of, of looking at what Jesus is saying this morning. Calling yourself a Christian doesn't make you a Christian any more than calling yourself a ballerina makes you a ballerina, right? Okay, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were <gasps> amazed at his teaching. He taught with real authority quite unlike the teachers of religious law. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about discipleship. We're going to talk about what it means to simply follow Jesus. Um, I want you to pray for this church. Pray for your family, your brothers and sisters of Presbyterian Christ. Pray that the Holy Spirit will inspire us, will prepare us, and will unleash us into our mission field, which is the Metroplex. As disciples, disciples in our, in our homes, Disciples in our neighborhoods, disciples in our, in our jobs, in our offices, disciples in our schools. When we walk out of here on Sunday, we aren't done with our Christianity for the week. When we walk out of here, that's the Christian myth talking. When we walk out of here on Sunday, we're being launched into our mission field. And you may not be going to Ghana or Guatemala this summer, but if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're on a mission trip this week. You're walking out of here to go on your mission trip this week. Let me just share in kind of concluding here. Uh, I'm inspired by what's going on here at Preston. I'm not just saying that. I really am. There is a palpable change happening in this church. Um, and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Things are starting to happen faster and faster here. More and more members of this congregation 
are, are engaging a dying world in the name of Christ. And, and let me just share with you. I mean, one of our problems here, I think, is we don't do a good job communicating this. There's stuff happening all over the place. I mean, we have members in the last three years uh, who have given up everything they know to go to live in Africa, work with orphans, or teach English to kids in Kigali. Um, we have folks here who are using their vacations to go to places like Ghana and Guatemala and other places, um, Romania, other places to share the gospel. They're using their vacation to do this. We have, we have a member who's going on his vacation this week up to Oklahoma City to work with inner city kids. That's what he does every year. That's how he uses his vacation days. Now, when you're single, that's a little simpler to do, I think. It's what he does. Um, but we also have many stories and more and more, and this is where the acceleration has really happened here at Preston Chris. Many more of you are viewing this city as your mission field and are looking for opportunities to serve here. Did you know, by the way, here's a little fun fact for everybody this morning. The fastest growing major city in America here, the Metroplex. It is the, Google this if you don't believe me, Google this. It is the fastest growing major, if you take all cities like mid-sized cities and other cities, Austin, Texas is actually the fastest growing but it's not a major city, right? I think we can agree on that. Dallas-Fort Worth is the fastest growing. In fact, it's kind of, you know, I don't know. No, Austin's cool. Austin's cool. A lot of great food comes out of Austin. They export great food and they export weirdness. This is the fastest growing city in America. Jesus put this church here. And I love what's going on. I love hearing about a Preston Crest teenager who started a nonprofit to use art to minister to inner city kids. I love what's going on with so many of our members involved in SGSO, Serving God by Serving Others, a ministry that started here. Now it's involved, grown to involve other churches as well. I love hearing about the disaster relief that's going on on a weekly basis. I don't love the disasters going on on a weekly basis, but I love that we're doing something about it. I love that. I love that dozens of our members at Preston Crest are going to be teaching English using the Bible to the international community that lives here in Dallas-Fort Worth tonight. I love that. I love that. I love that there's a connection class of young marrieds here who just goes around and paints people's houses. Folks that don't have money to do it themselves. I love that droves of young adults, droves of young adults here at Preston Crest, I love that they are now turning to do short-term mission works here around the Metroplex, weekends and, and weekdays around here. I love that. I love that there's a small group at Preston Crest that has built, been building bridges to the gay community for years. I love that. I love that when we did Dream Power a year ago and you all shared your ideas about the future of this church and 3,200, something like that, ideas came in. I love that over a third of those were about ministering to the city that Jesus has placed us in. I love that. And I love that dozens of, of our members are devoted to teaching our children here at Preston Crest and training our children um, and our youth. You guys inspire me. So much going on. A lot of it's under the radar can't keep up with all of it. Praise God for that. 
It's all about his glory. It's not about us. It's about him. Um, but in this place of, 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 of this community of believers that Jesus Christ has put in, in the heart of America's fastest growing city, um, kingdom-driven disciples are putting the lordship of Jesus into action. They're following Jesus. I love that. So in this place, that we can be a church that chooses not the Christian myth, but chooses discipleship. We choose to follow Jesus wherever he takes us. Amen? Now, I'm going to wrap up here, but in the interest of full disclosure, let me say one final thing about this. Jesus has a history, starting with the earliest days of his ministry, of calling his disciples to go to places that are dangerous. He never promised a safe life, an uneventful life. He told his disciples, there will be turbulence on this flight. <laughs> if you follow me, if you get on board with me, there will be turbulence. I love a story that I read this week by Palmer Chinchin. <laughs> it's a great story. He talks about he and his brothers, they went to Africa, uh, to the western edge of Zimbabwe, so they could raft the Zambezi River. And some of you have done some whitewater rafting here in the States, and he talks about what it's, the differences, because here in the States, the top level, they rate rapids, you know, and the top level, the hardcore level here is like a four or a five. Well, in, 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 on the Zambezi, it's a seven or an eight. Okay. So he says that they got their raft at the base of Victoria Falls, massive amounts of water spilling over the top of the falls. The locals call that place smoke that thunders. And so they started at the base of those falls. And, and he says, <laughs> as he sat on the edge of the eight-person raft, he shares how he was thinking, it can't be this dangerous. I mean, he's got on this giant crash helmet, and he said he, he had on this big life jacket that made him feel like uh, an overcautious tourist about to mount an overpowered moped in Honolulu. But, and he's thinking, the Zambezi can't be that dangerous, right? But then their guide said, when the raft flips, <laughs> it wasn't an if the raft flips, it wasn't a on the off chance that we flip, but it was a when the raft flips. And the guide went on to say, stay in the rough water. Make sure you're swimming toward the rough water by all means do not swim to the stagnant water near the banks. You will want to go there. It looks safe, but that is where the crocs hang out. They are large. They are hungry. When the raft flips, please stay in the rough water. Love that. Because the Christian myth will kill your soul. The Christian myth of staying in the safe, quiet stagnant waters, kind of hanging out there, a nice, calm little life. That is, in the kingdom of God, spiritual death. It's a dangerous place to be. So we have to resist, resist stagnancy. Jesus is calling us out into this mission field as his disciples, responding to his teachings, pouring ourselves out into the lives of others, living in the white water, living where things can get a little bit tricky.